welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 203. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Happy holidays. We are now within spitting distance of Christmas. Um, This episode is going out on the... Let's see. Um... 15th, going out on the 15th of December, only, you know, 10 days, uh, 10 shopping days before Christmas. Henry, what are you getting me for Christmas? By the way, Henry's here. Hi, Henry. He is very busily drawing in his sketchbook right now, so if you hear any scribbling noises uh, every so often, that's just him. But he was on the field report today, and I think he has strong feelings about this week's game. Uh, that I'm it should die in a hole? Maybe a sarlet. Maybe like a sarlacc pit from Return of the Jedi where, you know, you get thrown in and you, you're digested over the course of a thousand years. Something like that, maybe. But we'll get to that. First, this guy. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mac Hughes. Mad Mac Hughes. Mad Mike got a little press. There was an article on Oddy or Odie.com, O-D-D-E-E.com, dated December 3rd, Seven Most Dangerous Stunts Ever Attempted. The article opens, roller coasters are enough of an uh, adrenaline rush for most people, but there are some who walk among us who crave greater heights, faster speeds, and more free fall. The history of stunts is long, with self-proclaimed daredevils constantly attempting to one-up each other in pursuit of new records. These are some of the greatest and most dangerous stunts ever attempted. There's a guy named Luke Atkins, or Aikens, highest jump without a parachute, without a wingsuit, he fell 25,000 feet in a free fall using just air currents to guide his landing. 10,000 square foot net caught him. Well, sure, anyone can do that with a net. Felix Baumdartner is best known for jumping to Earth from a helium balloon that carried him into the stratosphere. He set the record at the time for the highest jump completed at 24 miles and the fastest speed of 843 miles per hour. An unexpected obstacle to him completing the jump was the claustrophobia he experienced in the pressure suit required to go into the stratosphere. The upper atmosphere, part of, uh, of Earth. Philippe Petit, a French daredevil who walked on a tightrope between the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center, he did. Called at, uh, it was called at the time the artistic crime of the century, began planning the stunt a year before he performed it in 1973, used disguises to get access to the tower, and he and his friends hid equipment around the buildings the day before. On the morning of the 7th, he spent 45 minutes, 1,300 feet above ground. Nick Walenda was the first person to tightrope across the Grand Canyon. The stunt took place in 2013. He didn't wear a safety harness and walked across a 2-inch steel cable, 1,500 feet above the ground. And then we have Mad Mike Hughes, a flat earther who built his own rocket. He successfully completed a 1,875-foot jump in 2018, by launching himself off the back of a mobile home. He's a bit of a character who funds his stunts with money from a casual dating and hookup app called HUD. He considers himself an amateur astronaut and is hoping to reach the edge of space with a homemade rocket one day. 
He's got a lot further to go. He'd need to reach 327,000 feet to match his goal. And then rounding out the list, we have Dean Potter, a famous base jumper who died while attempting a jump at Yosemite. Both he and a friend were attempting to clear a notch along the ridge of a mountain. Instead, they both crashed into the rot instead. And then we have Kitty O'Neill, a deaf stunt woman who broke the land speed record in 1970 from the stunt in a three-wheeled vehicle powered by rocket fuel. Her record still stands for women stunt drivers, worked on Wonder Woman and the Bionic Woman. Not all of her stunts were successful, but she was always fearless. In 50 mile per hour run, she described the experience to reporters, quote, I had a lot of fun. So yeah, Mad Mike is a, a world-class daredevil, I guess. He's dumb. Yeah. Well, I think probably a lot of people feel that way, Henry. Yeah, at least I just face. But, it, well, yeah, I mean, it seems like by now he should have done something. But on the other hand, that's not real easy. He's trying to get money, but no one Oh, that reminds me. Let's check out the Mad Might Use GoFundMe. Oh, the Flat Earth Community Rocket Launch page has gone up a little bit. They long ago exceeded their goal. But I think they've gotten a few more donations since I reported last. They're at $8,496. Mad Mike Hughes GoFundMe page, though? Still flat. Still zero. Sorry, Mad Mike. Yeah. Let's see what's going on on the Facebook this week. The Rocket Man Facebook page. December 4th. Words of wisdom from Albert Okura. All Mad Mike has to do is find some proof or evidence, and Albert will start believing. They quote Albert Okura, owner of Amboy, Ghost Town, whatever that is. Quote, interesting theory, but hey, get up there, find me some proof, and I'll become a believer. Because this guy's really the true rocket man, not the guy in Korea. All right. What is he talking about, guy in Korea? Kim Jong-un, the uh, leader of Korea, who keeps wanting to build missiles and rockets and whatnot. All right. So that's that's what's going on with Mad Mike. Uh, well, I don't know he's a flat earth believer, but he really wants to build rockets. I guess kind of like Mad Mike wants to build rockets. Yeah, he might want, want to think that was just that. So he's trying to build a bunch of rockets and nukes to try to sleep it all. Maybe. All right, do you have any other thoughts about Mad Mike, Henry? He's dumb. <laughs> he's dumb? Yeah, he's dumb. All right. Well, with that inspiring message for amateur daredevils, Let's move on to the next thing. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship, or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. You were never really a Sesame Street watcher, were you, Henry? No. Not really. The puppets annoyed you? Yeah. What about the puppets annoy you? The voices. You don't like the voices? You didn't even like them when you were a kid? No. How come? The voices were annoying me. Which ones? Like uh, Bert and Ernie or Oscar or Cookie Monster? Come on, you gotta like Cookie Monster. No. Oh. Well, I only bring it up. He sounds like a person that smokes. (laughs) Okay. I bring it. So, but we have some sad Sesame Street news this week because Carol Spinney, the actor who played Bidbird and Oscar the Grouch, passed away. He was 85. So he just retired 
couple years ago from doing the voice of Big Bird. He had stopped doing the, the physical operating of the puppet well before that because it was he was 80 in his 80s and he had some health issues so it was hard for him to do that um so it was sad today as i'm recording this to hear that he had passed away so um our thoughts go out to carol spinney's uh family and all the people who were uh inspired by his work do you have any news before we go on to this, this week's game henry all right well this week's game is in a galaxy far, far away, you are needed as a rebel pilot. Become one in the Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle Home video game. Your mission, fly Millennium Falcon through enemy force field while battling TIE interceptors. Ultimately penetrate and destroy the Death Star before its completion. But beware, the Death Ray can stop you. Time is running out. Save the rebels. Play Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle from Parker Brothers. If you can stand the pressure. Get ready. This is a really long title, so you might want to take a bit deep breath. All right, here we go. Star Wars Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle. This is a Parker Brothers game, like the other two Star Wars games, I think, were, or was. Other two Star Wars games were. Uh, it's a 1983 game, same year, I believe, that Return of the Jedi the movie came out. We're playing this one because it's a game based on the third installment of the original Star Wars trilogy, and of course... As this episode goes out, we're a week or less away from the third installment of the most recent Star Wars trilogy, The Rise of Skywalker. Are you excited about the new Star Wars movie, Henry? Yeah. Yeah. You never really... I just go to the movies to get the candy. Yeah, Henry's really only into the movie-going experience for the uh, snacks. Uh, I'm excited about the Star Wars movie. And I guess next week, if you guys have thoughts about Star Wars, or about this game specifically, let me know. What's that? Sophie's not going to want to go. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to get there. Probably not opening night, but I'll get there at some point. So let's get into the game, shall we? All right. Your ultimate goal is to destroy the sinister Death Star before the Empire completes its construction. But reaching this powerful space station won't be easy. First, shoot down a relentless swarm of TIE interceptors as they pursue your ship, the Millennium Falcon, across the galaxy. Then, with split-second timing, slip through one of the random openings in the Death Star's energy shield. Blast as much of the space station away with your lasers as possible, while avoiding the destructive heat-seeking Death Ray. Then one quick shot to the Death Star's energy core and POW! There's a lot of exclamation points in this description. The Death Star turns into an incredible burning mass, bursting into hundreds of blazing fireballs, and the heat's not off until you escape their fury, but if you do, then you're ready for another round with the infamous Death Star! Alright, so using the joystick for this one, you all know how to put in the game and turn it on. Is, is yeah, I mean, we'll get there, but Henry had some issues with um, being able to move his, his Millennium Falcon. Sensitivity. Yeah, sens- he thought the sensitivity was all off. I don't know if it was the game uh, the or the joystick or a little bit of both. I like sensitivity to be like common metal. And from my experiences with sensitivity in game. That sensitivity was towards was towards max sensitivity. Yeah. It was, sensitivity was way off. And usually the sensitivity. Hold hold on a second. Okay. Sensitivity that I play with in in my game, in my games, um. I could stop where I want to stop when I want to stop there. 
Yeah. But for that, hopefully that, I could, when I start, I'd move the, I could move the joystick a little bit and then it would go way off. Yeah, so that's a little frustrating. Um, you'll probably hear more of that on the field report. You will hear more of that. <laughs> Hold the joystick in your hand so the red fire button is in the top left corner. That should be on a t-shirt. The joystick moves left, right, up, and down diagonally and that diagonally because be those are merch. the directions. What? Uh, that should be a new merch. Yeah, it should. The fire button uh, fires the lasers, of course. Simp simply press the red fire button on the joystick, and each time you press the button, your shoot fires one laser shot. You do have rapid fire in this one. Just hold the button down. There is a pause feature. You can freeze the action by pressing the game select select switch once. The game will automatically enter the pause mode if not played for more than four minutes. So don't dawdle. Before pressing down the fire button to begin the game, you'll notice that the TIE interceptors are flying away from your ship. They're heading back to the Death Star in order to regroup for the forthcoming battle. When you press the fire button, your first of six Millennium Falcons appear in the lower center portion of the screen. The remaining Millennium Falcons are shown at the bottom. Shoot down as many TIE interceptors as possible before they blast you with their lasers, or speed off and circle back for another attack. Keep a lookout for the ever-searching Death Ray. Eliminate the TIE Interceptors and you'll notice random openings appearing in the Death Star's energy shield. When the shield's outermost gray energy band is deactivated and there's an opening in the shield, guide your ship through it. Upon penetrating this opening, you'll enter into hyperspace and arrive at the Death Star. Fire your lasers at the Death Star in order to knock out pieces of its outer wall, but beware of the Death Ray. It will track every move, trying to destroy your ship. Eliminate as much of the Death Star as possible to maximize, maximize bonus points before you finally aim and fire on the energy core. When you hit it, be ready to outrun the explosion of fireballs before they reach your ship. Um, it didn't make it into the field report, but when he was playing earlier, Henry was able to destroy the Death Star, but the fireballs got him. He found it very difficult, nigh on impossible, to actually get out of the way of the fireballs in the split second after destroying the Death Star. He has wandered off, by the way. I guess he was so disgusted with this game that he couldn't, uh, he couldn't stand to... I'm coming back. Oh, sorry, he just called in. He's coming back. Alright. I'll keep going, and he'll check in when he comes back. As the game begins, you'll see the Death Star is rebuilding itself piece by piece. If it is completed, all will be lost. The Death Ray will become fully operational and will destroy all of your remaining Millennium Falcons. Outflying and outshooting the Imperial... Inter TIE interceptors is no small task. They'll approach your ship in droves, firing their lasers one after the other. If your ship is hit by their fire, you lose it. But if you blast them with yours, you gain 50 points for each one you shoot down. When the game is over, the TIE interceptors head back to the Death Star to regroup. The energy shield is what stands between you and the Death Star. Penetrating it is not impossible, just tricky. At the edge of the shield, there is a thin gray band of energy. The band will intermittently appear and disappear. When it does disappear, and there is a black hole in the energy shield, guide your ship to the opening and slip through it. Beware, if you hit the gray band while it is activated, you'll lose your ship. Aboard the Imperial shuttle rides a well-known figure, the Dark Lord. Eliminating the transport, this transporter won't be easy, but with the right moves and good aim, you can beat it at its own game. Randomly throughout the battle, you'll hear a warning sound. This means the Imperial shuttle is approaching, and if it collides with the Millennium Falcon, your ship is destroyed. One well-placed laser shot to the upper body, and you'll vaporize the shuttle in its tracks. You gain 3,000 bonus points. Be on the lookout for the Death Ray. It's the small green shape that's continually moving about the Death Star while you're busy fighting off interceptors. Outside the energy shield, they're knocking out pieces of the Death Star itself. 
death ray ruthlessly attacks you. If the evil ray strikes your ship, you're a goner. Once you make it through an opening in the energy shield, your ship streaks across the galaxy to the Death Star in hyperspace, now many times larger than it looked before. When you're ready to destroy the Death Star, there are still TIE interceptors pursuing your ship and the Imperial Shuttle too. Fire your lasers at the Death Star's walls, knocking out as many pieces of it as you can. For each piece hit, you gain 20 points. The more you knock out before you hit the energy core, the more points you gain when the fireballs start flying. Knock out all the pieces except the core, and you gain an extra Millennium Falcon. Hit the core, and the Death Star becomes a glowing red mass with fireballs spewing out in all directions. The fireballs are more than hot. They're deadly. It only takes one to blow your ship apart, but the trick is to avoid them for as long as possible. The longer you do, the higher your bonus points. When I played that, I destroyed the Death Star energy source, but then... The Berlin, the, with the, um, with the, um, with the, um, big fiery ball, balls just for, supposed to start at the, at the, um, Death Star and then when it explodes, it's supposed to shoot out. Does it shoot out? Yes. Mine appeared right on me. Huh. Well, it could have just been because of where you were sitting. In the no, game. I was sitting all the way back as far as I can go when I sort it, and it appeared on me. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe people who know more about this game than me can this explain. This game has glitches. Can explain how that happens. Something with the hit detection or something. Yeah. As you progress through the rounds, the following will occur after each 10,000 points scored. Tie interceptors fire more often. Death ray seeks more rapidly. The rate of construction on the Death Star increases, and the number of openings in the energy shield decreases. Game ends when you've lost all your Millennium Falcons. Begin another round by uh, pressing down the fire button. It doesn't end when you lost all your Millennium Falcons. When you lose all your Millennium Falcons and you don't have any more, you, st you still have one more life. Yeah, I guess so, because that's your last one. And then once that's dead, then it just starts back at the beginning again. Hey, look, there's a 180-day limited warranty on this game. Don't read that. We're probably past that part. Past that warranty time. Game 1 is a beginner-level game. Game 2 is an advanced-level game. In games 1 and 2, the difficulty level is automatically increased every 10,000 points scored, and you are awarded a bonus Millennium Falcon at that time. So that is how you play Star Wars Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle. My high... So when I played it... Before we start talking, my high score was like 2,400 something. I think it was like 2,480. Yeah. So Star Wars Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle was one of the earliest Star Wars related video games. I think another thing I read said so it was actually maybe the first. I guess the first following Star Wars Empire Strikes Back in 82 and alongside Atari's 1983 Star Wars arcade game. It was the first video game based on Return of the Jedi. Okay, there you go. What? This was the first video game that they made based on the movie Star Wars Return of the Jedi. I, I don't think we ever watched that. Yeah. Well, I think I tried to get you to watch it once, but you, I don't think you did. We still have it. It probably doesn't look, probably doesn't look anything like it. But it's literally pixels. And it doesn't look like an actual battle scene from Star Wars. No. I mean, we'll get into that later, I guess. The, the sounds are kind of cool, but they don't sound like Star Wars sounds. 
And nothing in the game really looks like. Nothing in the game. The forest field around it doesn't look anything like The Millennium Falcon kind of looks like a Millennium Falcon, but nothing else really looks very Star Wars-ish. The forest field around they have to get through. The forest field they have to get through is different colors and there's blocks. From a certain angle, the TIE Fighters do look like TIE Fighters, except they're purple. Yeah, um, and the forest field is black, it's different colored blocks. In the movies, the forest field is actually invisible, but in the movie, they want you they want you to see that they actually have a forest field, so they make it like a blue, like yeah. a blue wish, and it's like pe pentagon or the hexagon. The cover art for the game depicts the Millennium Falcon flying away from the partially constructed Death Star, pursued by four TIE interceptors, produced by John Berkey, the noted science fiction artist who designed some of the earliest poster art for the original 1977 film, Star Wars. Does the thing about the, or are the interceptors the, different, the other purple ships? The interceptor, yes, were the purple ones. They're not supposed to shoot. They're supposed to, inter, I'm pretty sure they're supposed to intercept it. They shot, but they shot at me. Only the TIE fighters can shoot at you. Wikipedia, the uh, Star Wars fandom site doesn't seem to have a whole lot of different information than what I just read. Um, I just like saying Wikipedia. Can you do the sound? The Chewbacca sound? Yeah. No, I can't do it. Can you do it? <laughs> that was, wow, it was like Chewbacca was in the room. Hi, Chewie. Remember, uh, I think it was like a, at a at a comic con that me and you went to before. Yeah. Remember that guy with with the comic books that could do it really good. Not the guy in America's Got Talent. He could also do well, it. Well, yeah, he could. But remember on the the guy at the comic con that was some. I don't think I do. That that was some. I think it was like a comic con and like a quad con. Yeah. Maybe he, I just don't remember it. He was he. Was, he was something comic up in a comic book, and I think he's. I think he was talking to me, about something, and then he did, and then he, he did it. And then you remember? I I'm sorry, Henry. I don't. You had the worst memory ever. Grandpa. So if Grandpa was there, Grandpa could remember it better. Than I'm you. sure. So there was an article, on IndieWire back in 2013. Headline: How Return of the Jedi, the movie, returns ruins Star Wars forever. That's not a uh, an uncommon sentiment. How did How did Star Wars How did a Star Wars movie ruin Star Wars? Then how did How does something ruin itself? Basically, the idea is that the first Star Wars movie was so good that trying to make more of them, like Return of the Jedi, just kind of ruined everything. Made it so, not as fun anymore. The so Oh no. So the huh? Remember the Star Wars movie that was all about Han Solo's life? What? The Star Wars movie that's all about that was that's all about Han Solo. Well, there isn't really one that's all about Han no, Solo. No. Well, there is. There's the Solo movie, isn't but that a, isn't that a basically a biography, but a better but well, not a basic doc, a bet a way better documentary. Well, it's not really a documentary cause it's a, it's because it's it's all made up, but. There is the, the solo about, movie. About, uh, Are you talking about a, the solo movie that was just yeah. all about Han Solo? Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't it, one of the... It was basically a documentary, but it was documentary. It was a documentary of a, of a 
it was a, obviously a way better documentary of a Star Wars character. I guess so. Well, in this article that I'm looking at, they talked about how in Return of the Jedi, way back then, mm-hmm. Lawrence Kasdan, who made the movie, wanted to have the movie, have them kill off Han Solo in that movie. And Harrison Ford wanted that too. He was sort of overplaying. Um, I have a question. Playing Han Solo. George Lucas apparently said no, because according to Harrison Ford, quote, George didn't think there was any future in dead Han toys. Close quote. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Who was the main character in Star Wars? Well, that depends on your perspective. The original Star Wars movie... Dad, when you're bouncing your, when you're bouncing your foot, the whole table moves. The original Star Wars movie, the hero basically was Luke Skywalker. No, fighting like Darth the, Vader. Like in the newest... Not like in the new, But like the... There's, here's the... Here's the main character in like the Star Wars movie. And like, some of the Star Wars movies we watched, it didn't seem like it had a main character. Well, Rey... She's sort of the, the hero of the new Star Wars movies. No, it was... There was a... In that one, there was like... Different... And there was like multiple main characters. Like well, Ray, yeah. Like Ray. Like There's Ray and Ray, Finn. The, per- the person that used to be, uh, uh, um, person that used to be stormtrooper. Finn. Or is that the black guy? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, um, I would. Those are like a couple of the main characters. Yeah. But I, I would say, I would say that here's the new. Darth Lord, Dark Lord. Kylo Ren. Yeah, I would say that Kylo. I would say that Kylo Ren was the the because that that was the that's probably Kylo Ren was probably the 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 uh, Kylo Ren was probably the character that everyone is waiting for. Yeah, yeah, he's because he's the new Dark Lord. Whatever like happened to Darth Vader? <laughs> well. If you watched Return of the Jedi, you would know. But is, but is that the movie before Kylo Ren took over? Yes. So he didn't he die? Uh, well, I'm not gonna tell you that. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. We'll watch the no, movie sometime. I'm searching up on the internet. Okay, fine, do that. We know. We're gonna watch the movie right after this. We'll see. It's a crooked app. For what it's worth, the IMDb, IMDb page for Return of the Jedi has a page for um, Death Star Battle and gives it 10 out of 10 for graphics, 6 out of 10 for sound. <laughs> um, 10 out of 10 for graphics? It's yeah. pixelated. And well, well, course, well, yeah. Star Wars. And 7 out of ton, uh, uh, seven out of 10 for gameplay, 6 out of 10 for sound. 10 out of 10 for fun factor. I Fun factor? They think it's a fun game. I'm all like, are you with the TV factor? Henry was like mostly 10 just... 10 out of 10. Yeah, Henry was mostly I just... I was yelling at the TV. But was it fun to argue with the TV? Kind of. Yeah, see? I like there you go. people. Yeah, so it was fun. Uh, but to punch it. Talkingpulp.com Wait, is it talking orange juice pulp? No. Uh, did a review of the game. And they hated it. They hated its guts. I didn't expect to enjoy this game as much as I did. 
I mean, let's be honest. Most what Atari is wrong with you? Most Atari 2600 games are pretty crappy by 2019 standards. Any Atari computer Mainly because they are so primitive and simplistic that it isn't immediately clear what you need to do in a game. But for this era, this is pretty solid. It's also a bit advanced. It has two stages to it. The most of the most of the Atari is twenty eight hundred. Yeah. Most of the most of the of the twenty eight hundred games that I that I played, Atari twenty eight hundred games that I played, had had multiple stages. In the end, I can't knock the game, and I had fun with it for twenty minutes or so. This guy gave it an overall rating of seven point five out of ten. I gave it overall rating a negative two thousand out of ten. <laughs> but don't you hate it? Jump down if you hate it. Yay! Alright, well, after the break, there's more show. But things could be worse. You could be thrown to the Sarlacc in the pit of Cartoon and you could play Carcoon this game. to be digested over a thousand years. So there's that. How big is a guy to digest? To digest it's not a guy, it. dude. It's a big pit with teeth. I call everyone guys. Actually, it's not a pit with the teeth. It's a big creature with huge teeth with stuck in a pit. One? Do you know where we are? No. We are in a galaxy far, far away. I'm in a basket. <laughs> Henry's a basket case. I think we knew that already. No, we're getting ready to play. Get ready. It's a really long title. Star Wars Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle. Are you ready to... to... save the galaxy? Eh. <laughs> Man. Alright, I guess we can save the galaxy or something. I'm a go. What? I'm a go. Henry's a go. Alright, let's do I'm it. A goat. You're a goat? Yeah. Alright, you're gonna have to explain that. It's just something in church we're doing. And probably in the church. I'm oh, that's right. I'll stage goat and all I say is bleh. Yeah, you learned today that you're that's gonna all I say. play a goat in the church program. Yeah. And you have to burp bleh. on command. Think you can burp on command? No. All I do is bleh. Well, you know, Shermie from A Charlie Brown Christmas, every sh every Christmas it's the same. He always ends up playing a shepherd, so, you know, could be worse. You get to be a goat. Say Alright, well let's play this game and find out if it makes us say bleh, or if it makes us say yay. Okay? Alright, let's do it. I turned it off. I turned it off by mistake. Hold on. Alright, let's try that again. You broke it. Break it. Um, the sounds are kind of cool. Sensitivity is bad. We may just have, you may just have a funky joystick. No, listen to, I'm going to do left. No, that's what I'm saying. You may have a funky joystick. Um, are you serious? I kind of like the sounds in the game. There's no Star Wars music or anything, but the sounds are kind of, you know. Are you kidding me? You ran into the energy field. You just went into hyperspace to the Death Star. It really does not look like a Death Star. I don't know what that is. Um, the Millennium Falcon looks like a Millennium Falcon. 
the TIE Fighters, except for being purple, look like TIE Fighters, I guess, when they're flying a certain direction. Otherwise, they look like the ships from Defender. Are you kidding me? See, it stays there! See, the green thing stays there! I know. He's got me killed. I've taken over piloting the Millennium Falcon, which is every nerd's dream. Are you serious now? Yep, I did. I killed him. My eyes go a thousand and forty I just took over the game in the middle, dude. And I'm talking while I'm playing. No, you need to get away. You need to pick two. You need to pick two. Yeah. Oop, we just started. Oh, you want it back now? Alright, alright. What do you think of the look of the game, Henry? You're shooting it. Are you a little closer? Oh, there you go. Oh, I think you may have a shot. You gotta hit the red thing. Evermore. 
clear shot if you can get over there. Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. For years, Dogwater Hunt, alien abductee, many times over, has scanned the skies waiting for the aliens to return to his hometown of Santa Claus, Indiana. Yes, it's a real place. This year on Christmas Eve, Dogwater believes it will happen. Dogwater's friend, Cameron Jones, a successful novelist, is struggling with writer's block. A talking goldfish? That's normal, isn't it? And a battle with his ex-wife over her plan to move to England with their five-year-old daughter. Meanwhile, up at the North Pole, Santa himself has got his own problems. After centuries of being jolly, the constant tide of kids who believe, then don't anymore, is wearing on him. So he quits, hangs up the red suit, and is cringled no more. Where does he go? Santa Claus, Indiana, obviously. The story of how these three men are thrown together is told in the novel In the Saint Nick of Time, written by the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. It's about time there was a Santa Claus story for adults, so he wrote one. Will these guys save Christmas? Probably. That's how these books work. But you gotta read it to find out how. Go to www.carnivalofgleekcreations.com for more information about the book and some of the places you can order it. Happy Holidays! So here's the thing about Star Wars Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle. Do we like Henry Star Wars Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle? Absolutely not. We hate it. Oh, come on. We don't entirely hate it, do we? The sound is probably the best part out of all. I like, but again. I'll give the sound a 5 out of 10. Everything else is a 2 million quadrillion. I like the sound a lot, but but it does not sound like Star Wars sound. Exactly. When I said 2 million quadrillion out of 10, I meant negative 2 million quadrillion out of 10. Gotcha. So I don't um, mistake it, because I hate its guts. I mean, you did most of the playing for the field reports. I didn't get to play it a whole lot. But I, I think it looked kind of fun, actually, to me. So, Because you didn't get killed. The, on the TV, the edge of the green thing was half of... It was half, so if I was measuring it on the TV, we were playing it on. The very edge of the green, of the green laser was half an inch... It was like half an inch... Like half an inch to an inch away from the edge of my guy, and it still killed me. It was like half an inch to an inch away from me, and it killed me. All right. How does well, that I still think it looked fun, and Star Wars is always fun. So the concept of it is kind of fun. You like the concept, but you don't like how the game actually comes out. Wait, what is concept? What's a concept? The idea. You know, the the, the concept of it is fun. Okay. But the well, actual output of the game when you play it is... Well... Because I thought it was going to be... All the toy games that I play, the picture looks 
looks like it's actually looks like the pit looks like the gameplay is actually fun. But the the concept of most of most of the toy games that I played is fun. The concept is, but it doesn't look anything like the picture on the actual toy cartridge, toy game cartridge. Well, let's see. I'm looking at the cartridge, and need two separate microphones. No, you're correct. It does not. Wait, let me see that. The door, the Death Star doesn't look like that. The Death Star looks like. Oh, I need to forget. Death Star doesn't look like an actual, like the actual Death Star. It's well, a bun. It looks. It looks like a white. It looks like a completely white pizza that's been in an accident and thrown off a bridge. In the fire, and then, and then a dog, and then a dog, came and did his business on it, and then bit it up a bunch, and then got hit by a grenade, and then got hit by an RPG, and then landed in someone's toilet and got flushed into the ocean. <laughs> that if it if the Death Star, if that happened to the Death Star, it would be a perfect example of what it actually looks like in the game. If that happened in the actual Death Star at Star Wars, if it went through all of that in the actual Death Star, if the de actual Death Star in Star Wars that went, actually went through that, it would be, it would look exactly like it does in the game. Literally. That's what it would look like. Wow. And it, that's an accurate representation. I did a lot of science and stuff. Well, that. it was certainly vivid. I, I understood what you were saying, so... Well done. And it was white. The Death Star is black and gray. Well, white. yeah. Kind of all but of the that. Some of the highlights on the Death Star are white, but most, mo the main color is black and gray. The main color is black and gray. Wow. Do you feel better? Yeah. Getting all that out? Not yet. <laughs> Do you have any more thoughts about Star Wars Return uh, of the Jedi Death Star Battle? I'd rather not say it. <laughs> You'd like to let the rest of those thoughts kind of burn inside of you yeah all right well i don't know i don't know i'll get in trouble for saying it well so i'm not gonna say it i think the game looked fun except that it doesn't really feel much like a star it wars game like it's so fun and the concept of the concept of the game is fun but the pixels look weird the force field doesn't look like a force field it's different it's different colored squares and the force field on, an actual force field and it does Wait, does the Death even have a force field around it? Sure. Wait, does that yes or no? Yeah, I think so. The, it, it, it doesn't look like a force field. It's not a circle. It's a square. Uh, it's a square under the Death Star. You can see the Death Star in the distance. It's a, it's well, a square. That's just the it's limit. It's a square made, surrounded by other squares. At least the Death Star could be... At least in the background, there could be a force field around... You could see what you could see the forest food around the Death Star. Yeah, well, that's just a limitation of the uh, uh, of I have the a list uh, of computer to fix uh, this game. the programming limitations that they had at the time. No. So, yeah. all right. Well, if you have if if you agree with Henry that this is a truly awful blight on the history of games, the concept of it is good. Uh, write in and but tell us the actual that actual output of the game when you play it. It's story time on Atari.
three bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled Life in Three Parts. Nicole Sanchez was 17 when the movie Galaxy Beyond came out. The trailer looked amazing. The special effects, robots, space battles, and the pilot of the lead ship, the Star Crusher, was kind of hot. Nicole stood in line for hours with her friend, with her friends Mia, Quentin, Julia, and Steve, and Steve for hours to get tickets. They sang songs, they had dance-offs, they played cards. The waiting for the movie part was almost better than the movie part. Almost. Sitting there in the dark watching that epic battle for galactic peace unfurl, Nicole had never been happier. That was amazing, Nicole told her friends through a mouthful of popcorn as they left the theater. Pew pew, Mia said, simulating the sleek level one laser fighters soaring past the evil robot vanguards enemy lines. Quentin and Julia retreated, recreated movie heroes Dax and Sharona's witty banter. I saw you looking at me. I wasn't looking at you. I was just daydreaming about a Clondorian swamp spider landing on your head. Steve was less impressed. Chief special effects, wooden dialogue. Cal Fasterian might be a decent enough director, but he's a lousy scriptwriter. The movie, though, took off. Toys and games followed. Nicole wasn't shy about being a teenager who loved her Galaxy Beyond bedsheets and footy pajamas. Dax is on my butt, she told Mia. What's not to love? It wasn't long before official word came down that there would be a sequel. Galaxy Beyond. Vanguard Vengeance. A collective yay from the group. The movie will be out in three years. Oh. After high school graduation, Nicole and Mia roomed together at State U. Steve rushed a fraternity at school. At the school, Julia attended a drama school upstate, and Quentin took a job as Dad's construction company to save up money. Between Galaxy Beyond films, the actress who played Sharona won an Academy Award for playing the mom of a cancer survivor. The actor who played Dax got a DUI conviction and starred in mediocre rest- western. When the Vanguard Vengeance release date was announced, Nicole and Mia asked Steve if he wanted to go to opening night. But the frat was hosting a Mixmaster Mixer, whatever that is, that night, and Steve was on ladle duty, so he couldn't go. Julia wanted to go, but she was starring in an all-female stage production of a Three Stooges bio called Three Bitches. Julia was playing Curly. Quentin drove up from the old hometown. Here we go again, he said as they stood in the theater lobby. I like the old theater better, though. Mia nodded. Yeah, this is just a sterile multiplex, not like her old movie house. Probably no bats in the balcony, though, Nicole pointed out. Galaxy Beyond, Vanguard Vengeance was... pretty good. Dax and Sharona were on point. Most of the new characters were fun, except maybe the floating disembodied android head that kept singing opera. The plot was, well, a little thin. More of a bridge between part one of the trilogy and the inevitable part three. Having the Clondorian Swamp Spider turn out to hold the literal key to the Vault of Knowledge was shocking, but less so than the spider's deathbed confession of his shared ancestry with Dax. The three friends jabbered a while in the lobby afterwards. Want to get a beer? Nicole asked. Now nah, I gotta head back, Quentin said. We're laying the foundation on a plasma donation center tomorrow. Pew pew, Mia said. Not that kind of plasma. Oh, well, okay, Nicole said. Sorry her old friend had to bail so soon. Next time, maybe, Quentin said. Thanks for the movie. Then he left, never to return. Three years plus a summer, 
Later, Galaxy Beyond Part 3, Closure, opened just in time for the holiday movie-going and shopping seasons. Blue fuzzy wallaby-looking creatures with multiple horns on their heads filled the toy stores. These werbles, as they were called in the movie, were the new creature from this installment. And every kid wanted one, including, to be honest, Nicole. Grad student Nicole called Mia to see if they could go to the movie. One last opening night? Round out the trilogy, she said, to Mia's voicemail. By the time Mia called back, the movie premiere had passed. Brad and I were in Vancouver. It was epic, she explained. Because of schedules and hot ticket sales, Nicole didn't get to see Closure until it had already been out three weeks. Avoiding spoilers was hard, but worth it. Nicole wept like her teenage self when Dax succumbed to the wounds inflicted by the Dark Duke, the big bad who arose in Part 2, and seemed poised to rule the galaxy in Part 3, only to be defeated by Sharona and her harp knife. It was Dax who created the distraction that gave Sharona time to carry out her galaxy-saving plan. But it's such a cost. Even as the lights came up after the end credits, Nicole was still pulling herself together. Alone. Quentin, Steve, Julia, even Mia. No one cared anymore, it seemed. Like the star cruiser hurtling through journey warp, time passed quickly. Twenty years later, the internet buzzed with the news that Galaxy Beyond was being rebooted. Or revived? One or the other. The actress who played Sharona, now a multi-academy award winner, had been handed a buttload of cash to reprise her role, though it was rumored she would die, perhaps as soon as the first movie in the new trilogy. Nicole considered not going. She'd left the Galaxy Beyond a long time ago, and the friends that were an important part of it. She'd had a falling out with Julia over some stupid political thing. Quentin died in a car wreck about five years after the last movie. But what about Steve and Mia? Should Nicole hit them up on social media? Nah, Nicole mumbled. Maybe Galaxy Beyond is just for me now. But she didn't really believe it. Nicole was living in the old hometown again, having taken a position with a graphic design firm there. It seemed right to see the launch of a new Galaxy Beyond trilogy in the same theater the old trilogy launched in. As she sat with her popcorn and chocolate-based confection, waiting for the movie to start, a voice said, The seat taken? Without even looking up, she answered, Of course not, Steve. Steve flopped in the seat and helped himself to some of Nicole's popcorn, as he always did. He was going gray already, but he was still as much of a mooch as always. Um, so can I sit here? Julia said a little awkwardly, shifting from one foot to another in the aisle. Nicole gave a half-smile. Well, the Galaxy Beyond Galactic Congress has room for all types, so why not this theater? Yeah, sit down, goofball. Whatever they'd been fighting about melted like the fake butter on the popcorn. Save a space for me, Mia said. About time, Nicole said, the others made their entrances already. Was this ending to the story predictable and fanservice-y? Absolutely. And so it was the film up on the screen. And Nicole loved all of it. <laughs> Hey, it's me, Bill, your host, the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. Do you enjoy the stories I write and read to you every week on this podcast, but you feel like you just need a break from my voice? I get it. My family does sometimes, too. Here's an option. Some of the stories from the show are now collected in a volume titled Misery Banana, Very Short Stories Inspired by Old Games and Odd Thoughts. You can order it wherever you like to order books. I hope you'll check it out. Thanks.
insert game sounds, insert the In the Saint Nick of Time promo. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Mike Mann for the Mad Mike Hughes theme. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, but make sure you use the force to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is the podcast you're looking for. Something like that. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also look us up on Instagram. Now you can call and leave a voicemail too. 563-265-1978. Call and leave a message about any damn thing you want. I'm waiting to hear from you. Don't you dare force ghost me. Check out the new website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, for information about this podcast, my other podcast, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, a monthly ode to all things related to the Peanuts comic strip and merchandise and movies and so forth. The website has information about both those shows, social media, links to episodes, all sorts of stuff. You're also going to find over there information about those books that I made you listen to the promos for, Misery Banana and In the Saint Nick of Time. And I hope you will consider checking those out as well. The website has links to just some of the places that you can order those books in print and in ebook. While you're considering things, please also consider supporting the show financially by making a donation, becoming a subscriber on the Atari Bytes Patreon page. If you do, you'll get access to bonus episodes, you'll get access to regular episodes, but get them early, all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, in addition to knowing that you're helping keep the lights on here in the podcast studio. You'll be joining the august ranks of current patrons, Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, and Sean Courtney. So go hang out with those guys. You won't be disappointed. You can also pick up Go Play Some Old Games They've Missed You shirts and mugs in the AB underscore pod underscore store on Zazzle.com, where, as I say every week, someday there will be new items. Links to all of this stuff in the show notes. All right, well, that's about it. Um... Hope you enjoy the new Star Wars movie. Hope your holiday plans are going well. And hope you have time to take a break from the holiday to listen to next week's episode because it's the last one coming out before Christmas. So we're going to take a little breather from uh, playing games. We're going to... Uh, I don't want to say too much, uh, partly because I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I'll leave you with this this um, image or this thought. Tiny Tim's Atari Dreams. What does that mean? We'll find out. Probably together. Um, next week on the podcast. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.